Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, and can be found on page 667 of your pew Bible. Haggai, chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord of the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the rest of Joshua, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. May God bless the reading of his word. Having the advantage of living in America, our lives are pretty easy on an international level. You know, we may not be the most prosperous country in the world anymore, or, and we do tend to work more hours than most other industrialized nations. So we're not the wealthiest, and we may be the busiest, but our lives are still reasonably straightforward, reasonably comfortable compared to a worldwide standard. But actually, the, the degree of comfort we have may be complicated by the fact that we do have this money and we do have a strong, well, modestly strong economy, but we have jobs and we have money and actually these things can be, have a reverse effect. Instead of making our lives easier, they can make our lives more challenging. Because I would suppose that no matter how much money we have, in an advanced economy, there's always more stuff we can't afford that we could buy, could have if we had more money. 
And particularly as the economy went bad, you know, a lot of companies laid people off, but they didn't do less work. They just gave more work to the people that were still had jobs. And, and if you still manage to have a job, what are you going to do about it? You can't complain. You've got to do the extra work from the guys that got laid off. So I, I would suppose that our level of income creates a complication. It gives us enough ambition to want more, but maybe not enough money to buy everything we could have. There's always a bigger home. There's always a fancier car. There's always more electronic stuff that you could buy. And then you know, if we have a job, there's just so much more work to be done all the time. So how do we handle our time and how do we handle our money in a way that honors God? The circumstances in Haggai were much different than ours, but it does address this question. How do we handle our time and how do we handle our money? Turn with me, page 667. We're beginning a series in Haggai. If you're new here, one of the things we do typically is we take a Bible book and we work our way through it. Now we, Haggai, uh, I don't know why we chose it. I didn't choose it. It was the senior pastor. I would just suppose we haven't done Old Testament, the latter half of the Old Testament for a while, so here we are in Haggai. But it's not arbitrary. You know, the Scripture is God's Word. Scripture says this is how God speaks to us. This is the place where most reliably, most commonly we can hear God speak. And so as we turn to Haggai, what we're asking is, well, what, first of all, we only ask two questions. Any Bible passage we turn to, we always ask the same two questions. What did God say to them here in their circumstance? And then given that our circumstance has some continuities and some discontinuities, what is God saying to us in our circumstance? Only those two questions. What did God say to them? And now through them, what is God saying to us? So what we'll do is I'll spend the first ten minutes or so sketching out what God said to them. So turn with me to page 667. Now, if you notice in the sermon outline in your, in your uh, bulletins, uh, and I'll walk you through it, so basically, this passage divides into five elements, five sections. And for those of, us, of you who are about to take SATs or will yet have that in your future, this is, is written in the literary form called a chiasm from the Greek word chi. It's also polystrophy. Now, you did not have to, you could have gone to Kumin and paid money for that, Information, but you got it free here. Um, basically, what, like the Greek letter uh, he, uh, chi, the argument goes A, B, C, B prime, A prime. So the two A's correspond to each other, the two B's correspond to each other, and the, the main point is the C. But let, follow me, we'll walk through it. Verses 2 to 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? You know, if you didn't, if you weren't here for last week or the week before, let me tell you the situation. Israel was the people of God. But they were called upon to live in relationship with God, and they wandered far away. And God sent his prophets to call them back, and they ignored him. God says, if you, from the very beginning, God had said that if you don't follow me, I will send you into exile. I'll turn my, you turn your back on 
me, I'll turn my back on you and you'll go into exile. And, and eventually, after hundreds of years and dozens of prophets' warnings, Israel went into exile. They were dragged off, in, the losers in a war, they were dragged off into exile. Many had died. They were living as immigrants in a country where the language they didn't speak, they were a despised minority. Life was very hard. But God had told them, if you repent while you're in exile, I'll bring you back. And within oh, just over 50 years, God had brought them back to the land. Now they were back and the land was still devastated. And there were other ethnic groups that had been moved in in the meantime. So now they're back in their homeland, but they have no homes. They have no city walls for protection. Their country has been destroyed. And so it's natural. What do they want to do? They've got to have some safety. Uh, they've got to have some kind of money to look after, some crops to eat. So they want to plant, they want to grow harvests, and they want to have homes to live in. And despite that, you know, if you look at the book of Ezra, Haggai doesn't tell us this, but if you look at the book of Ezra, which describes the same time, despite that, as they built their homes, they also built the temple. But then the surrounding people that had been moved in were angry about it. They were, they were concerned that Israel just had invaded their land, their land now. Israel invaded their land, and if they build their temple, they build their cities, they build their walls, they're going to take the land away. And so the inhabitants of the same area rebelled or, or fought against Israel, told them to stop building the temple. And they sent word back to the emperor to, to tell Israel to stop building, and the emperor told them to stop. So they went on with their lives, they continued building their homes, they continued planting and harvesting their crops. And after about 15 years or so, the prophet Haggai stood up and said, no, we can't do this. We can't keep like this. We live in paneled homes now. Now we're wealthy. We can panel our homes. In those days, well, if you've seen it, if you have friends who live in homes that are maybe 60 or 80 years old, you know what wood paneling is like. You know, if you have a new home, a newish home, you know, or a home from the 60s, you know, the paneling we put up now is just cheap stuff normally. Really one of the cheapest products you can use. Much cheaper than sheetrock to nail up paneling. But if you see an old home where you have real wood paneling, basically they had reached a point where they were affluent. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, they say. Well, there's a lot of reasons not to build it. We're affluent, but we're not fabulously wealthy. There's lots of reasons not to... You know, this, the, the emperor said, we have to stop. The neighboring people, they said, we have to stop. There's going to be trouble if we keep building. And so the people said, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Hold on. You live in nicely appointed homes. And God? No temple. No house for God. And so in the second, in the second segment, uh, verses 5 through, excuse me, 5 through 6, uh, Haggai continues, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Look how hard you work. And look how little you get from it. Verse 5, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you get little harvest. You eat a lot, but you're never full. You drink, but you're still thirsty. 
You put on clothes, but you can't get warm. You earn wages and put them in your wallet, and your wallet has a hole and the money falls out. What's happening? You know, all this, you're working hard for your own prosperity, for your own welfare, for your own safety, and it's getting you nowhere. Now, the reason why it helps to know this is a chiasm is because God doesn't tell him right here why. Why are they working so hard for no return? But he tells them later on in verses 9 and following. Jump down to verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Why? What you brought home, God says, I blew away. Why would I do that to you? Because my house remains a ruin. Each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth has withheld its crops. I, God says, I called for a drought. Why are you planting and not harvesting? Why are you making money and not being able to save any? Because I called for a drought, God said, on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine, the olive oil and everything else that the ground produces. On people and livestock. God says, this stuff, bad stuff is not happening to you randomly. God says, I'm causing it. Because I've blessed you and brought you to this land. I've prospered you and you've ignored me. And God says, therefore, I'm withdrawing my grace. I'm withdrawing my blessing. You're going to plant and get nothing. You're going to work hard and have no return from it. Your lives will be hard because you've neglected me. And so in the middle point of this chiasm, verses 7 and 8, here's the solution. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains where the trees grow. Bring down timber. Build my house. So that I may take pleasure in it. That I may be honored by it. God says, this is a solution. Don't spend all your time on your own jobs. All your time on your own homes. Be devoted to me, God says, and the, the blessing will follow. As you respond to my blessing, they're not earning God's blessing. God has already blessed them. God already brought them back. God already gave them prosperity. But God says, if you don't reciprocate, we're not in relationship. And if we're not in relationship, I won't look after you. And so he calls them in verse 7. Verse 8. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. And so in verse 12, what do they do? The Zerubbabel, Joshua, the high priest, the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord had sent them. They came... And they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. God had spoken, and they heard. They listened, and they obeyed. Now, the question becomes, that's what God is saying to them. Why are your lives so difficult? Because I blessed you, and you didn't honor me. Concretely, they, may, they used God's blessing to build homes for themselves, to make a luxurious life for themselves, and they did nothing for God. Concretely, that's what God is saying to them. I will take away my blessing unless you honor me. Now, what is God saying to us? You know, we live in a much different era. It's not just that it's 2,000 years later or more. 
is that God works in some ways, some respects, God works differently today. You see, this passage is very popular when churches are launching building programs. Because God said to them, Oh, you better build this house, build this temple, or else I'm going to withdraw my blessing. And now, now, as it happens, we do have a building program. But I'm confident in our senior pastor that that's not why he chose Haggai. He chose Haggai because twice a year we, we have series in the Old Testament, and we haven't had one for a while, and so now we're in post-exilic prophets. And so that just happens. That we're in Haggai. And, to reinforce the fact that this is not to raise money for the building fund, let me tell you this. Christians do not have temples. This building is a convenience. This is not where God dwells. You look at the New Testament, what does uh, Stephen say in Acts 7? God does not dwell in buildings built by human hands. God said, I made the universe. How can, how can you make a building for me to dwell in? Maybe in the Old Testament, yeah, God dwelt among his people in that temple so that they would have a locus where they could worship him. But that's not how it works now. If you look at the New Testament, who's the, what's the temple in the New Testament? We are, collectively. God dwells among us as people. So God is still speaking to us through Haggai chapter 1. But he'll say something a little bit different to us than what he said to them. We have to take into consideration the different era in salvation history that we live in so we hear what God is actually saying to us through what he said to them. We're not, we're not a, the temple today is not this building. This is not a holy building. We are the holy building of God as God's people. So we have to adjust what we hear God saying to us from Haggai chapter 1. But here, there's a discontinuity there. Now here's a continuity. Paneled homes? Yeah, well, I mean, we have the great benefit of living in America. Not all of us, but most of us live reasonably well off. Most of us have reasonably nice homes, nice cars. Not all of us. So there's a continuity. How about this for a discontinuity? When God said in verse 9, because you haven't honored me, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to take away your blessing. Because of you, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain. Now we've just come through a severe economic crisis. Is this God's judgment on us as a nation? Or on us as individuals, as Christians? You know, you really need to be a prophet to make that kind of judgment. Uh, Terry prayed about 9-11. You remember after 9-11, a couple of wacko, uh, publicity-hungry Christians stood up and said, well, God did that to America because this and this and this. And then you remember the uh, devastating um, earthquake in Haiti. And then some of the same wacko, publicity-hungry people stood up and said, well, God did this to Haiti because this and this. First of all, you have to be a prophet. And then it helps not to be wacko if you're going to make those kind of judgments. This, I mean, God may still do this under certain circumstances. But how do you tell 
whether it's happening because we've been particularly sinful, or whether it's just happening because we live in a fallen world where earthquakes happen, bad economy happens, greed happens. You know, you really got to be careful about making that kind of a judgment. This discontinuity, but this continuity. We have, we, we are not, this building is not the temple. We, we can't quickly judge. When bad happens, it's because people have been bad. It's not clear that at all. But there's still, God still speaks to us through this. The question is, how? Let me suppose, let me suggest to you, first of all, verse 8. God says, go up in the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, that I may take pleasure and it be honored. And God says to them, in verse 4, is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled homes while this house remains in ruin? I don't think this is the primary purpose of the account. All right? I don't think it's primarily about this church building. But let's say, it, it doesn't. Go, once we decide to have a church building, I think it does raise a question. Or it raises an issue for us. Once we decide. I don't think the primary application is the church building. But once you put up a church building, then you have a certain responsibility. And if our church building doesn't look as nice as our private homes, then maybe we need to give some thought to it. Not as a primary application, but I think it's still relevant. Uh, does it honor God if our church building doesn't... If we don't take as good a care of a church building as we do as a private home, does it honor God? Now, maybe the solution is, let's quit worrying about our private home. Let's reduce the quality of our private homes to the quality of the church. I think it's a legitimate secondary application to say that the church should look as nice as most of our homes look. Yeah, fair enough. But that's not the primary. What is the purpose of building that home? God calls for his name to be honored. God wants to take pleasure in his people's devotion to them. I don't think the solution the application of this passage is for us to build a fancier church. That's not primary. I think there's certain relevance to this for how we build our homes. How do you build, how do you buy a home? You know, a lot of you are in the process of buying homes because you're young and you've got young kids now and now you've got to buy a home. You know, Dave Barry, Dave Barry, the humor columnist, used to write for the Miami, Miami newspaper. He said it works like this. When he bought a new home and he says, here's how it works. You tally up all your finances and figure out how expensive a home you can afford. Then you add 25% to that and you buy that home. So you're constantly under stress and in debt. Somebody once came to see me in the church where I was serving and said, well... You know, uh, we, our family is growing. We need to buy a new home, to have more room. And because we're going to buy this new home, for the first six months or for a year, we won't really be able to give much money to the work of God because the home is expensive and we have some, you know, we've got to pay the commission for selling our old one. We've got to pay the commission for buying the new one. We've got to pay renovation. We've got to buy new furniture. We, we really can't give much money to the work of God. I think it was just an explanation. It wasn't a request for guidance or a suggestion for import. So, and besides, you know, it looks like I, it always looks like I have a vested interest in these things because where's my salary come from? Uh, 
So I kept quiet. But, you know, it's legitimate to ask a question. If our homes are so big and grand, or our cars, or anything else we invest in is so big and grand, if our businesses, you know, we want to buy a business, right? Going to business for ourselves. If our businesses are, are so, if our ambitions are so high that we can't give money to the ministry, that we can't give money to God, we can't give money to eternal things, and not necessarily the local church, local church, overseas ministry, whatever it is. If we're spending so much money on ourselves that we can't give money to God, whoa, yeah, I think. I think this passage kicks in then. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while the work of God remains a ruin? Oh, I think it's a legitimate question. My wife and I faced this concretely when we were, gonna, we were considering about renovating our basement. We managed to pay off our house. My wife is very patient. I, you know, I hardly spend money. And we managed to pay off our house and then we thought, well, you know, there's tax benefits to renovating the basement and and in those days, we used to have people, you know, 50 to 60 people over at once, and we don't really have enough room. And I thought, well, we renovate the basement, we'll have more room. But I thought, I, you know, it was going to cost us $30,000 to renovate that basement. I had never spent $30,000. I don't spend $3 happily. $30,000. What do you, oh, dog. So what we did was uh, we decided, okay, if we're going to spend $30,000 in the basement, then the least we can do is set aside $30,000 for extra donations to various causes. You know, I'm not really eager to go to heaven and, and have God ask me, well, we got $30,000. At least now I can say, yeah, but God, I, I, at least I put aside another $30,000 for something else. How it works for you, you know, basically, God didn't complain about them having a home. God only challenged them about having paneled homes, fancy homes. God knows we need homes. God knows our kids need college education, at least UMass, you know, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, state tuition, state subsidized, I mean, you know, not necessarily private education. God knows we need Food, not necessarily filet mignon. God knows we need cars, not necessarily a Lexus. He didn't fuss about that stuff here. He only fussed about the paneled homes. We've got to figure out some way to balance this stuff out, not to fulfill all of our ambitions. Let's talk about beyond money. Although this is a passage about money, but let's talk about this. What role does God play in our lives? How about how we spend our time? Particularly, as we're shifting into the congregation as a lot of young kids, and your kids are too young yet to have a lot of outside activities, but let's consider this. They're getting older, you know, you'll have plenty of ways to spend time with your kids. You got SAT prep, you got chess club, or chess, whatever this is, you got orchestra, you got sports, and some of those activities nowadays are on Sunday morning. When I was in Singapore, I took some karate lessons. I don't know why that's funny. You think it's funny? You come see me later. 
If you've got a black belt, I'll show you respect. But if you don't have a black belt, I'm not showing any respect to you. you know, and, and, my, and I got my son in it so that he wouldn't be bullied when he was in school. But, you know, they had grading on Sunday morning during church time. And I thought, skip church for grading for karate? Pay money for karate and not do grading? What do you do? I managed around it most of the times, but one time I couldn't get around it and I had to go on a Sunday morning and I thought, whoa, it's not where I belong on a Sunday morning. You know, Singapore, they're not going to do it. They're not going to make it where they wear on a Sunday morning. So I, I did go once and I said, after that, I said, no more. And, and it worked out well anyway because by then there was a 14-year-old girl in my club who was intending to beat me up so often. So then I quit karate if I had to. You know, it became an easier decision. If she'd been 20 years old, I wouldn't have minded, but 14. Hey, worst comes to this. If it comes to this, if you've got to choose between your kid doing orchestra or doing something that you really think is important for their future, we, we have church only once a week. Only Sunday morning, that's all we got. At least change churches where you go Saturday night or Sunday night. If you have to choose between God and anything. If you have to choose between public worship of God once a week and anything in your life. Oh, you don't want to make that choice very often. You don't want to, for the next year I'm going to go do this rather than God. You know, you don't want to do that. How about your career? You know, my oldest son was considering veterinary school for a while. And I looked in, I did some research into it. Well, there's a lot of reasons not to become a vet. One of the reasons is it's more competitive than med school because there's fewer veterinarian schools, very few veterinarian schools in the country. Secondly, it's the same price as med school. Thirdly, you get no financial aid, so you're going to come into debt. When you graduate, you're going to make about $40,000 a year until you go into business for yourself, so you're never going to pay off your debt. There's a whole lot of reasons, but the, the biggest reason to my mind was this. It's as demanding as med school. So you're going to spend 80 to 100, 120 hours a week you're going to disappear, unless you're gifted. If you're gifted, forget it. Are you okay? But if you're not gifted, you're going to go through six or seven years without ministry. Oh. God says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in the paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Is it time for you to be securing your future while your kids... Well, sorry, what ministry? You know, Jesus put it like this. When he talked about homes, Jesus said this, Luke 9. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When Jesus spoke about families, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus spoke about our careers and said, If any man would come after him, after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus doesn't call us to give up everything. He doesn't call us to give up our homes. He doesn't call us to give up our kids. He doesn't call us to give up our careers. But he does call us to use some of our money. And he does call us to use some of our life, including family time. And he does call us to use 
time left over with our careers to serve Him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure at it and be honored, says the Lord. And the people came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Let's pray together. Father, we will always have more opportunities than we have time. More obligations than we have time available. More opportunity to spend money than we have available to us. Help us, Father, to balance our desire to honor you with our desire to enjoy life. In Jesus' name, amen.